Good evening, my darlings, and welcome to Marley's Ghosts. It's time for another Dread Time story. Now get yourselves all tucked in. Ready? Good. Let's begin. Tonight's story is The Footsteps in the Dust by Alice Perrin. Here and there, mysteriously, in India exist English gentlemen who seem to have been left behind on the strenuous march of British administration, who, from instability, misfortune, wickedness, have sunk down not entirely to the level of loafer, but to a stage where they remain rooted in exile, apparently without home connections, correspondence, or interests, and who live and die in apathetic obscurity while their histories, curious, pitiful, or unworthy, remain unrecorded and forgotten. Captain Boggle was one of these derelicts, being the oldest European inhabitant in the Emperor. He was accepted by the ever-changing officials of the district, who played cards and billiards with him in the little club, and whose wives occasionally asked him to dinner. He was an elderly man, and lived in a miserable little two-roomed bungalow opposite the great white stuccoed mansion owned by Gunga Prashad, the rich Hindu bunai or merchant. But no one could say how long he had lived there, who he was, whence he came by his means of living, what had been his regiment, or why he voluntarily buried himself in a small civil station in northern India. There had been rumors, of course. He had eloped with his colonel's wife and had been ruined over the damages. He had been dismissed from the army for embezzling mess funds. He was a Russian spy, a suspected murderer, the rightful heir to a great title, etc., etc. But nothing was ever proved, and Captain Boggle saw collector, joint magistrate, civil surgeon, police officer, and engineer come and go while his bungalow and that of Gunga Prashad remained the only dwellings in the station that still held their original occupants. Captain Boggle and the Benai were apparently close friends. That is to say, the Englishman had the use of the natives' horses, baskets of vegetables and fruits from the rambling garden, and they occasionally attended a race meeting down country together. But it was popularly supposed that if Captain Boggle lost... Gunga Prashad paid up, but not vice versa. In the evenings, the couple were frequently to be seen driving in Gunga Prashad's roomy old-fashioned Lando, drawn by a pair of big Australian horses, with a fat coachman in purple livery and a tatterdemalion outrider clattering behind on a white stallion. Gunga Prashad, clad in a plum-colored satin coat with a yellow turban, his loose lips stained red with juice, would loll in his seat, deep in conversation with his companion, whose appearance resembled that of a decayed Metasopheles. It's a queer alliance, said the civil surgeon, who had lately been transferred to Mianpur, and not yet assimilated the accepted customs of the place. And it's my belief that Mogul gets far more out of Gunga Pashad than meets the naked eye, 
I have sometimes thought so lately myself, replied Petersham, the police officer, with whom the doctor had been dining, and the two were now seated in the veranda, smoking their Bahadur cheroots. And yet the fellow lives on like a half-caste in that little pigsty of a bungalow, and his clothes would disgrace a rag-and-bone shop. You see, he drinks, said the doctor. I've never seen him drunk, and I've been here six months. Worse luck. No, and I don't suppose you ever would. That chap's pickled with spirit from head to foot. He can stand any amount, I should say. But it must come to an end sooner or later. It's my belief that he's taught Gunga Prashad the same game. Half brandy, half champagne is probably their usually drink. A native does that kind of thing pretty thoroughly once he takes to it. Police officer grew thoughtful. I was here some years ago as assistant, he said reflectively. And now I come to think of it. Gunga Prashad was then a very different being from what he is at present. He was a smart, healthy-looking fellow, always riding about and ready for a chat whenever anyone met him. And now he's a fat and bloated and never stirs out except in that old Shinridian of his. And he can't look one in the face or answer civilly when he's spoken to. I see a great change in him for the worse. People go downhill fast when they start. I fancy our friend the captain gave him his first shove and keeps going. My bearer declares that the pair of them sit up till four o'clock every morning, drinking and gambling in Gunga Prashad's bungalow. Then, since the hour was late and he had to be up early on duty, the doctor said goodnight and started home on foot, carrying his own lantern. For all the bungalows in Niampur were fairly close together. His route led him past the large, untidy compound, in the center of which stood Gunga Prashad's mansion with the deep verandas, pucker roof and imposing porch. The long doors reaching almost from ceiling to floor stood wide open, for the night was hot and airless, and the lofty room was facing the road, brightly illuminated with rows of wall lamps, while a great white punkah waved to and fro. Under the punkah stood a card table, and at it sat Gunga Prashad and the captain, absorbed in their game, with long tumblers full of a liquid at their elbows. The doctor, fascinated by the curious picture, stood and gazed, and presently Gunga threw down his cards and stood up gesticulating wildly. Captain Boggle leaned back in his chair and proceeded to light a shroot. Then the voice of Gunga Prashad rose in an angry remonstration, though to the watcher outside the words were not distinguishable. But they sounded threatening, beseeching, despairing by turns. The man dragged off his turban, tore his clothes, and beat his breast. He knelt in front of the Englishman and laid his forehead on the stone floor, and throughout this piteous scene, the captain sat apparently unmoved, blowing clouds of smoke through his nostrils. The doctor turned away in disgust. The sight sickened him. It was sordid and revolting and made him ashamed of his countrymen. What did it all mean? 
that Boggle had been compassing the ruin of Gunga Prashad for some years past, he felt convinced. And it now seemed as though a crisis had arrived. Something was going to happen. And the next morning came the news that Gunga Prashad had committed suicide by taking poison. Moreover, it eventually transpired that the once rich merchant had died penniless, and that the big bungalow, the landau, the horses, the mirrors, chandeliers, marble-topped tables, and all the rest of the garish possessions so dear to the heart of the man, together with savings and investments, and valuable house property in the bazaar, had all been gambled away to Captain Boggle. The question most discussed in the station was what that man would do with his evilly won fortune. That he was legally entitled to it all, there was no disputing. But public opinion rose high against him. And though curiosity raged in every breast, Captain Boggle found himself ignored when he entered the little club and apparently invisible when he met anyone on the road. This treatment at last caused him to avoid the club and his English neighbors, but he remained on in the shabby bungalow and only took long, solitary drives in the Landau so lately that the property of his victim. People wondered why he did not occupy the big white house now it was his own, or why he stayed in Nianpur instead of going home. And old gossip and conjectures concerning him revived with additions and improvements. Still, he continued his curious existence, driving out in the evenings along the hard, dusty roads. And the doctor who met him often on his way back from the government dispensary expressed his opinion that the man was on the verge of delirium. I saw him yesterday afternoon, he said to Petersham driving along, jabbering like a monkey, just for all the world as he had someone beside him. He seemed to be arguing and explaining till I felt quite uncanny. I could have sworn that old Gunga Prashad was sitting next to him if I hadn't seen for myself that the seat was empty. He was going on anyhow last night too, said Petersham. I heard him when I was coming home from dining with the dunes. You know how close that little hovel of his is to the road. He was standing outside, waving his hands and shouting in Hindustani. I pulled up and asked him what was the matter, and he solemnly implored me to go over and tell Gunga Prashad to stop calling him, because nothing would induce him to go over to the bungalow and give that man his revenge at cards. I said, My dear chap, Gunga Pashad's dead. How can he call you, or play cards, or do anything else? But he only looked at me like a screwed owl, and he said he knew Gunga Pashad was dead well enough, and that was just why he didn't want to go over and play cards with him. We shall have trouble with that fellow sooner or later. I think I'd better go and look him up today, said the doctor, who was a kind-hearted individual. But owing to an unexpected press of work, it was not until after a late and hurried tiffin at a patient's house that he found himself free to visit Captain Boggle. The little bungalow looked deserted when he drove up to the veranda. 
and it was some minutes before his shouts attracted the attention of the servants. He could hear them laughing and coughing and gossiping in the cookhouse. At length, a disreputable creature appeared who pronounced himself to be the captain's bearer as he hastily wound a dirty turban about his greasy head. Where is the Sahib? inquired the doctor. The doctor was told that he had commanded the carriage about two hours since and drove forth to eat the air. Whether he went, the man didn't know. Rather relieved than otherwise, the doctor turned his trap around, but as he drove down the road past the opposite compound, he caught sight of the well-known Landau, standing under the perch of the big bungalow. And he drove in through the white gates and up the ill-kept drive. The place had not been touched since Gungapashad's death, and the house had stood unlived in and neglected. When he reached the porch, he found the pair of horses standing in easy attitudes with drooping heads, while the coachman and the groom were seated on the ground sharing a hookah and conversing in low tones. They had the patient, apathetic air, to whom time is no object, and one spot, quite as satisfactory as another, in which to smoke and discuss the price of food. They rose when they saw the doctor, and the fat coachman explained that the captain was within the bungalow and had been there for nearly two hours. The utter silence of the neglected house struck the doctor with an odd sense of uneasiness. He descended from his trap and looked into the entrance hall. The dust lay thick on the matting, and in the dust, sharply imprinted, were the marks of Captain Boggle's boots. The doctor followed the footsteps, and they led it into the principal room where the dust covered everything. It soiled the satin-upholstered chairs and couches, dimmed the mirrors, clung to the dingy puka frill, and was deep on the floor. In the middle of the vast room was a little green-covered card table with two chairs one of which had been pushed aside as though the occupant had risen abruptly. Cards were scattered over the table, and a few lay on the floor with the remains of a broken tumbler. Evidently, thought the doctor, the room had never been touched since Gunga Prashad had played his last disastrous game. He followed the fresh footmarks up to the table, noticed that the captain must have first sat down in the chair that was turned aside, for it had been pushed back quite recently and the footmarks about it were a little confused. He was vaguely conscious of something unnatural and then realized suddenly that though the steps had led up to the table, they were neither continued nor retraced. The dust lay undisturbed everywhere else. The fine gray Indian dust that gathers thickly even in a few hours if unopposed and yet Captain Boggle was not present. The doctor stood completely puzzled, gazing with attention at the tracks that were unmistakably in one direction only. Then he lifted up his voice and called the captain by name again and again. His voice echoed through the lofty rooms, but there was no reply, except the scream of a frightened starling that had built its nest in a ventilator in the ceiling. He picked his way carefully back, stepping as far as possible in his own footmarks, and looked into the other rooms that led from the entrance hall. 
there was nothing but silence, emptiness, undisturbed dust. Captain Boggle was not in the bungalow. And with a feeling of resentful bewilderment, the doctor drove off to fetch Petersham. After giving the waiting servants orders that no one was to enter the house until his return, he brought the police officer back with him, and together they surveyed the single line of footsteps terminating at the table, the chair's position, the evidence of its occupant having sat down and risen hurriedly. But... The chair hasn't been sat in, said Petersham, peering at it closely. It's covered with dust, but those cards have only lately dropped on the floor. Boggle came in here right enough, but now the devil did he get out again? Unless he flew? Together, the two men went over every room and every corner. They searched the roof, the garden, the stables, and the outhouse. But Captain Boggle was nowhere to be found. He had disappeared completely and unaccountably. And the very last traces of him ever discovered were the footsteps in the dust that led up to the card table in the middle of the room of Gunga Prashad's bungalow. And no further. The End. Thank you for listening to Marley's Ghosts with me, your ghostess, Deborah Marley. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Marley's Ghosts or send me an email at Marley's Ghosts Podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, visit my Patreon, where we have lots of tiers to choose from, each with their own special treats. Rate and review so our community of Dreadtime listeners can grow. Until next time, my darlings, sleep well.